In this episode, I'm going to share with you what the Catholic Church really teaches about purgatory. Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to another episode of Cold Brews and Catholic Truths. My name is Sean Hussey. This YouTube channel, this podcast, uh, this podcast is dedicated to spreading and defending the Catholic faith. It's a little bit more about Catholic truths, about Catholicism, than it really is about cold brews. But I'm excited today to share with you one of those Catholic truths, and that is the doctrine of purgatory. Um, I think there are just a lot of misconceptions out there about what the church really teaches about the about purgatory, about the doctrine of purgatory. So in this episode, to really try to give the best articulation of what the Catholic Church teaches, what I'd like to do is basically go through three different misconceptions about purgatory uh, and then offer just a Catholic response to these questions. I hope by the end of this episode, at the very least, you'll just have a better understanding about what the Catholic Church really teaches about purgatory, and you won't just be stuck in some of these misconceptions that are so popular and they're so common. One other thing I want to say before I get into these different misconceptions and how the church might respond to these different misconceptions is I just want to say that purgatory oftentimes just kind of seems like a very Catholic thing. Uh, And it is. Of course, the Catholic Church does believe in purgatory. However, there are also many non-Catholic Christians, including Protestants, who would accept at least some version of the doctrine of purgatory. And so, if you happen to be a Protestant Christian and you're listening, I think that purgatory is one of these doctrines that you can, and I think even should accept, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd have to become a Catholic. So I just want to say that at the front, that this is something that I think you can accept without necessarily having to become Catholic. Uh, One famous uh, Protestant Christian who accepted this doctrine, actually, was a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Maybe you heard of him. C.S. Lewis, uh, an Anglican, a, a Protestant Christian, actually did accept this doctrine of purgatory. He, he, you know, he, he acknowledged that our souls really demand purgatory. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to get into three different misconceptions and offer a Catholic response to these uh, misconceptions. Uh, the first one is that purgatory is some kind of second chance or limbo between heaven and hell. The second misconception is that purgatory is not in the Bible. And the third misconception I'm going to address is that purgatory makes Christ's sacrifice insufficient. So let me just start with the first misconception that purgatory is some kind of second chance or a limbo. It's a place between heaven and hell. It's a second chance for people after they die where they could maybe, if they weren't good enough in this life, they could be better in purgatory and they could get to heaven. And if not, they're going to go to hell. So this is simply uh, not true. I think the best way to refute this is just to share with you what the Catholic Church actually teaches about purgatory. Uh, And so to do that, I just want to read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Just two paragraphs. It's going to be paragraphs 1030 and 1031. This is what the Church has to say about purgatory. Uh, Starting in paragraph 1030, it says, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. So I think at least one thing to highlight from this is that the church teaches that purgatory is not so much a place 
as it is a process for those who have been saved. So the four last things we say are death, judge, judgment, heaven, and hell. So at the moment of our death, we are judged. We stand before God and we are judged. And at that judgment, we know of our eternal destiny. And that is either heaven or hell. So for those souls who have been judged in friendship with God and are guaranteed heaven, but are still imperfectly purified, they're not perfect, uh, which I think might be many of us, Purgatory, then, the church just teaches, is that process of purification, that definitive encounter with Christ when we've been judged in friendship with him after our death, whereby we are purified, we're made clean, and we're brought fully into the beatific vision. So it's not so much a place again, but it's a process again for those who have been saved. It is not a second chance. It's not a second chance after death. At the moment of our death, we are judged. The the decision is final whether we're going to end up in heaven or we will end up in hell. And this is what the church teaches. So it's not a second chance. And in fact, all the souls that go through this process of purification, this process of purgation, what we call purgatory, are guaranteed of their eternal destiny in heaven. So the next stop guaranteed is heaven. Purgatory is just that process of purification. Okay, the next misconception, number two, is that purgatory is not in the Bible. Okay, while it's true that the word purgatory purgatory, you're not going to find in the Bible, it's a misconception to suggest that purgatory is not in the Bible because the concept of purgatory, the doctrine of purgatory, is found in the Bible, even though the word itself is not. And we have many, many doctrines that where, where we would all agree that this is the case if you're a Christian and you're listening. Uh, one of those, a popular one, would be the Trinity. Of course, the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. However, we wouldn't say that the Trinity is not found in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity, that the Son is God, that the Father is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God, but that the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, nor is the Holy Spirit the Son. This three persons and one God. This doctrine, of course, we don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but this basic Christian doctrine of the Trinity is very much found in the Bible. Another one of these would be the hypostatic union, the doctrine that Jesus Christ is fully God and is fully man, uh, in, his, in, in, in the one person of Christ. He's both fully God and he's fully man, what we call the hypostatic union. Again, you're not going to see the word hypostatic union or the words hypostatic union in the Bible. However, this doctrine, the truth of this doctrine, uh, the concept of this doctrine is very much contained in the Bible. We could say something similar about the doctrine of purgatory. Yes, the word purgatory is not in the Bible, but once again, the concept, uh, the teaching of purgatory is definitely found in the Bible. Um, let me look to a couple places. First, let's look to like Revelation chapter 21 and 27. So this is using a text in scripture to kind of have a deductive argument for why purgatory would be necessary. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 tells us that nothing unclean can enter heaven. Nothing unclean can enter heaven. So premise one would be nothing unclean can enter heaven. Number two, when we die, even if we are in friendship with God, even if we're Christians, most of us are not perfect. Most of us are unclean in some way because we're either sinning or we still have some kind of attachment to sins. Therefore, we are not able to enter into heaven unless something would first happen. And so as Catholics, we would say that we would need to be purified to be made perfect. And so the Catholic Church just calls again this process uh, purgatory calls this process of purgation 
uh, purgatory. There was this friend of mine uh, who I used to meet with back in college, and we'd meet up at Starbucks, and, and he happened to be a, a Protestant Christian guy. And, and we had a lot of good conversations meeting up at Starbucks, and we'd talk about our faith, the, the places we agree, the places we disagree. Uh, in one of those conversations, we were talking about the doctrine of purgatory. Uh, and I think initially, he definitely was going to disagree with me, and that's, you know, that's why we were talking about it. And he had some of these, these first misconceptions that purgatory was a second chance, and I could easily share with him that actually that's not the case. You know, those souls in purgatory have already been judged, and they will end up uh, in heaven after this process of purification. And even outlined for him this, this revelation uh, kind of idea that nothing unclean could enter heaven, uh, when we die, we are still unclean because we're either sinning or have an attachment to sin. Therefore, something needs to happen uh, in order for us to enter into heaven. And so my friend actually agreed with these ideas. He agreed with, the, the, you know, this kind of this argument. However, he said his conclusion was that Christ actually covers us. So when God sees us, if we're Christians, if we're in Christ, he really sees Christ's righteousness covering us. And because of that, we're able to enter into heaven. And so when he offered that, I just kind of said, you know, that's in some ways that's not so far off by what we are trying to say or what the church teaches about purgatory. But think of it this way. Instead of thinking about, um, instead of thinking about Christ himself covering us with his righteousness, but we don't actually change, but Christ's righteousness covers us so that we can enter into heaven. Instead, think about Christ himself purifying us, actually making us perfect so that we can enter into heaven. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 23 describes those in heaven, those in the heavenly Jerusalem as the spirits of the just men made perfect. So they don't just appear to be perfect, the souls in heaven. They are the spirits of the just men who were made perfect. And when I shared this with my friend, he, he thought, you know, if, if that's what purgatory is, then I don't think I necessarily have a problem with that. So again, this purification, this process of purification, um, I think is just necessary for those of us who are in friendship with God but are imperfect. If we have to be perfect to enter into heaven, then it's really Christ's love itself that purifies us so that we can enter into heaven. So that if we are judged as just men and women, that we might be made perfect uh, through this process of purification. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, this is just a good example in scripture that illustrates that there will be a purifying fire for those who die in friendship with God, but are still imperfectly purified. And I'd like to read that passage to you. So again, this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. St. Paul says, According to the commission of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So let me read verse 15 one more time. He says, it says, if any man's work, this is on the day of judgment, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire, only as through fire. 
So again, this is an illustration that there is a purifying fire for those of us who are in friendship with God. It's a fire that both purifies and it saves. It both burns and it saves. Um, and Pope Benedict XVI and other theologians have even suggested that this fire that's described here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this purifying fire that we would uh, undergo as a process of, of purification, is really Christ himself. It's a definitive enc- encounter with the love of God. It's a definitive encounter with Christ himself by which we are purified. You'll notice in this passage that it's talking about people who built upon the foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. Um right? So it builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then each man's work will become manifest for the day, uh, which is the day of our judgment. The day of judgment will disclose it. If any man, if any work, Paul says, which a man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And then if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. This is what we mean by purgatory, that we've built upon the foundation of Christ, that we are in friendship with God at the moment of our death, so therefore we will be saved. God, you know, God, let's say God judges us to be saved. And yet, the work, my work is, is maybe hay built upon that foundation. It's burned up. I have impurities. Um, that person will still be saved. They've already been judged to be in heaven, but they'll undergo this purifying fire. And that's what the church means by purgatory. Okay, the final misconception is that purgatory makes Christ's sacrifice on the cross insufficient, right? This misconception is that purgatory makes the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary insufficient for us and for our salvation. And this, again, this is just not true. Christ's sacrifice on Calvary is not insufficient objectively for our salvation. St. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I make up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Uh, so what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Well, well, like I said, Christ's sacrifice is it's perfect and it's of infinite value in uniting humanity back to God. So it's not lacking anything in, in redeeming all of humankind, all of mankind back to God. It, is, it has infinite value and it certainly was perfect. What is lacking, however, is the merits of Christ's passion being applied to individual souls. And for that to happen in our life, for the merit of Christ, for the cross of Christ, the merits that Christ won on the cross for us, for them to be applied to each of us, we have to be open to God's grace and we have to allow him to purify us. And if we, again, are in friendship with God when we die, however, we have not been perfectly purified, we'll need to undergo a process of purification. So purgatory does not make Christ's sacrifice insufficient. Rather, it's because of Christ's sacrifice that we can actually be perfectly purified. So in other words, uh, purgatory exists not in spite of what Christ did on the cross for us, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Purgatory exists not in spite of what Jesus did on the cross for us, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Purgatory is good news. Purgatory is the love of God, a purifying fire that both burns and it saves. It's this definitive encounter with Jesus Christ, perfecting us into his image. So in conclusion, purgatory, it is logical, it's biblical, and it's good news.
All right, everybody, that's all I have for you today. I hope in this episode you you came to a little bit of a better understanding about the doctrine of purgatory and realize that this is really Christ's love purifying us so that we can be made perfect and spend eternity with him in heaven. Have a great day, everybody. God bless you.